content of that verse has been well expressed and expounded on in a variety of other chapel services, but today we want to look at the context of 1 Corinthians 13. Most often, those words are heard somewhat out of context at weddings. But 1 Corinthians 13 is a small part of Paul's second longest letter that we call 1 Corinthians. It has a whole chapter on marriage. Check out chapter 7 sometimes. 1 Corinthians 13, however, sits in the middle of a discussion about how those who have been baptized by one spirit into the one body of Christ use their gifts in loving harmony as they serve one another as Christ has served them. That kind of unity serves as a great theme for Concordia this year and every every year. But first, to whom did Paul write 1 Corinthians the first time? Paul visited there in the book of Acts, chapter 18, stayed for a year and a half, and what happens is a typical pattern on Paul's missionary journeys. He starts at the S synagogue. He has some S success, but then he gets hostility. In this case, gets thrown out of the synagogue and starts a worshiping Christian community next door. Uh, Then he uh, has success, normally with Gentiles, until he is persecuted, in this case in front of the proconsul Gallio, and then flees on to the next town. Then later, on his third journey, Paul's in Ephesus for more than two years, and a bunch of things go back and forth between there and Corinth, and so he writes them some letters, and we call one of them 1 Corinthians. Now, a month from now, I'll be with our Around the World team at Corinth. But you don't get to go, so here's a quick tour. Corinth is at the bottom there, number 11. It's on an eight-mile isthmus that separates the two major parts of Greece, north and south. And when they finally invented dynamite, they were able to build a canal through that isthmus, which is there today. The city started by the Greeks on top of that hill, kind of like the Acropolis in Athens. Uh, But the Romans like nice flat plains. So in Paul's day, there's a city of 500,000 people Uh, living in Corinth, and the Temple of Aphrodite, their goddess of love, is up on top of that hill. One of the seven wonders of the ancient world is another of the temples at Corinth, and this one is the Temple of Apollo, or what's left of it, and a Jewish synagogue on this road. This is so cool. We found the sign, beautiful Greek letters above the doorway, the Synagogue of the Hebrews, and Paul comes and starts his mission work there. Uh, He is called in front of Gallio, I mentioned, and that's where Gallio sat up on top. So this is all there, so go to Corinth at your first uh, opportunity, and you will be blessed by being there. But by today, pull out your Bibles. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 to 18, and this is on page 952 in the Pew Bible. Page 952, which actually is a page without a number on it but it's the one after 951 and before 953 and says 1 Corinthians. Uh, We call it 1 Corinthians. I call it church problems. So if your church has problems, this is the letter uh, to a church that similarly had problems. And their first problem is a lack of unity, is divisions, is potential schisms in the church. And we're going to look at that today. Let's start by reading verse 10. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, together. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
why there should be unity is because of all God has given them in Christ Jesus. And you only have to read the first eight verses, nine verses of the letter to hear about all these things. In verse 2, they were sanctified in Christ Jesus. In verse 2, they call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ together. In verse 3, they have grace and peace from Jesus Christ. In verse 4, the grace of God was given to them in Christ Jesus. In verse 5, they're enriched in Christ in every way. In verse 7, the testimony about Christ has been confirmed among them. In verse 7, they're waiting for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 9, God is faithful who called you into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. They're called to keep the God-given unity that's theirs already by the grace of God in Christ. Now, our culture says that there is unity in diversity. I don't think so. Diversity often causes divisions. Christianity says, however, there is diversity in the unity in the body of Christ. Diversity, yes, but divisions, no. Read verses 11 and 12. Why are there divisions in Corinth? Together, 11 and 12. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people. by quarreling. Quarreling's gonna cause divisions, isn't it? And the specific quarreling in first century Corinth is clear throughout the first four chapters. They are divided and puffed up, Paul later says, in favor of one leader in the church against another. Paul, Apollos, Cephas is Peter, the disciple, and we're not with you, we're just with Christ. So that's how they're being divided. In our day, leaders can do the same thing. Are you in the Pastor Anderson camp or the Pastor Reese camp? <laughs> Are you in the Pastor Warren camp, the Pastor Hodel camp, the Pastor whoever camp? Think denominationally. Is your allegiance to the Pope, to Martin Luther, to Calvin, to Zwingli? St. Paul wants you to answer yes or no to these questions. I will ask them in verse 13. You can answer yes or no. Is Christ divided? You're correct. Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Or Luther? Or Calvin? Or the Pope? Or Pastor Anderson? Or Pastor... The list can go on and on and on and on and on, okay? Paul is just like a worker in the field, but it's God who owns the farm, as he'll later say in chapter 3. So in verses 14 to 18, Paul goes on to talk about his work, his service for God as an apostle of Christ. So let's just read verses 14 through 18. It starts on the top of the next column in this Bible, but let's read that together. Paul says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptize anyone. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, 
and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. How is St. Paul like Captain Kirk? His ministry is to go boldly where no one has gone before with the name of Christ. All right? And that's what he is doing. Not like a parish pastor. And when you hear the word preach the good news there, that's not about a pastor preaching to a bunch of Christians from a pulpit in worship. In the New Testament, that word almost always means how you would transliterate the Greek letters into English as evangelize. Paul wants to go where unbelievers are to bring to them the good news of Jesus Christ. And then as now, there are mixed results. On the one hand, unbelievers think it's foolish. The Greek word there is moria, from which we get moronic. It seems moronic to them to center your life in Jesus Christ and in his church and to dedicate your time, talent, and treasure to the work of his kingdom. Moronic. And so they had uh, graffiti back then, and this is some of the earliest famous graffiti from back in the day. And here's a guy in Greek named Alexamenas, and he's worshiping his God. And his God is a crucified ass. What could be dumber than worshiping some carpenter from Nazareth who got crucified by Pontius Pilate? So says the unbelieving world of Paul's day. And it's not much different today, is it? They mocked it, they derided it. But you can think closer to home, right? Most of our world, most of our campus thinks it's Maria to spend 30 minutes here. It could be working, doing homework, sleeping, more coffee, lots of more important things to do. I wonder. The other response, though, in verse 18 is just this. To us who are being saved, that word of the cross is the most precious, treasured thing ever. And we need it not just weekly, but daily and hourly to hear that awesome news. Why? Because it's the power of God, Paul says in verse 18. Why is it the power of God? Because that cross is not the end of Jesus' story. This is great. In 1 Corinthians 1, he starts with Christ crucified to solve your divisions. There are some people in Corinth denying the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, and he waits until chapter 15 to get to that. What's he thinking? He's beautifully framing a letter about church problems and saying all your church problems then and today, all your problems, in fact, can be dealt with within Christ crucified and Christ risen from the dead, and so 1 Corinthians 2 through 14 are dealt with, framed by those two things that Paul tells us are of first importance. Christ, yes, died for our sins according to the scripture, but he was raised on the third day, and that's how he deals with their problems. So, at this point, Tina Turner would be wanting to know, what's love got to do with it? Not emotional, sentimental, romantic, feeling, self-centered, American-style love. 
not sensual, X-rated, Corinthian-style love, but the agape love the scriptures talk about, a self-giving, action love that's shown without regard to recipients earning, working for, or deserving it, and without any expectation of anything from them back in return. Now, I can barely bear to bear a bear bear, but our theme verse tells us love bears all things, and most profoundly on the cross, where Christ bore our sins, our divisions, our quarreling, our insults. Even Isaiah 53 says our sicknesses and our sorrows, and so we are called then to bear with one another. That will help stop the quarreling and the divisions. So also will Paul's defining statement in 1 Corinthians 13, love does not insist on its own way. So rather than allegiance to human leaders, the old Band-Aid commercial had it right. I am stuck on Band-Aids because Band-Aids stuck on me. Christianity says, I am stuck on Jesus because Jesus stuck on me, stuck on a cross for me, for you, for y'all, for all. So we're not just stuck with each other. We're stuck together by the agape love of Jesus Christ. That's our unity with Christ and with one another. So gathered as God's people, we come here regularly and pray that we would receive and live out that unity. Please join me in a beautiful song as we pray these words together. As we gather together in your Son, let us know the joy of being one. Let the time we share in this place be a time of love and friendship in your grace. By your spirit, help us be one in faith and unity. Bless us here as we gather in your son. Give us joy, grant us peace.